literally right from the get-go within a day or two of meeting me. He loved me, loved me forever. It was the two of us against the world. I was the one, all these things. And you have to you know, think about, I had been starved of love. I had been denied love. My mother and stepfather chose not to love me. So somebody's saying they want to love me. I'll be honest. I thought this guy was a little bit of a jerk. He reminded me in a lot of ways of my stepfather, but I thought, oh my gosh, I wanted love so badly that, you know, I'll do anything. I will do anything. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Hi, Persisters and Brothers. It's Lisbeth, and it's great to see you again. It is fall, it's gorgeous, and it is nearly October where I, well, for all of us, I was going to say it's nearly October where I'm at, but I would imagine it's October where you're at too. And uh, really, it's only in September as I'm recording this, the very end. And October is, among other things, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And if you know my story, you know that's a really important theme for me, that and breaking the patterns of intergenerational trauma. So I'm excited to have today's guest, Dana Diaz, who has done exactly that. Dana, not unlike myself, at some point in her younger life, thought, man, I am going to make a different path for myself than my family did. And instead, she found herself repeating a pattern of intergenerational family violence. She's written a book called Gasping for Air. And I think this will be a terrific conversation. Just always keep in mind that today's conversation, and there are those conversations that might be triggering for you if you were thinking to yourself, I just want to talk about fun things. This might not be your cup of tea, but I think it's an important conversation This is such a common theme in our world. And so things like family violence, people today call it narcissistic abuse, but I will tell you that not all narcissists are abusers. Not all abusers are narcissists, but there is far too much violence that goes unchecked and unnoticed in private places. And it has such a widespread impact for my day job as an interviewer of true crime i'm working on a case where part of the case was an employee calling and threatening to shoot up his old place of employment at a particular car dealership and so as i'm trying to get interviews together i meet one of the employees by phone only and in her background it was so tr- so incredibly horrifying because Not only is it scary to be at a place where someone's called and threatened to shoot people and and employees, someone that you know, and maybe at one point have liked, but also to hearken to her own childhood, her parents both uh, died due to domestic violence and a murder-suicide. I'm not finished with that project. And already in the same kind of car dealership across country, that same tragedy happened this weekend. So 
it's just too much. It's, you know, one out of every three women worldwide reports being a victim of intimate partner violence. And of course, men can be victims as well. We want 0% of people in the home to feel unsafe. I'm excited to get to speak at the Chattery, a place in Chattanooga where I'm at right now, um, to get to talk to community members at the Chattery about what do you say when someone you know or someone you care about you believe is in an abusive relationship. Those are tough conversations because it's very awkward. It's everyone's business and it feels like it's no one's business. And it's easy to hurt feelings or say the wrong thing. So I'm looking forward to that. If you're in East Tennessee, come and join us at the Chattery. Sign up online. And I'm just excited to introduce you to Dana. And in any other news, I have some fun podcasts that I get to be a guest of too. And so I will be letting people know on my newsletter list. Join me at lameredith.com. I've probably got four or five interviews coming out this next month, and I surely am grateful that you are here. Have a good listen, and I hope you enjoy Dana as much as I think that you will. Dana Diaz, I'm so thankful to meet you and glad for your time here today on Persistence You. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to be here as well. <laughs> it is wonderful to meet you. I had already primed the listeners to know that we're going to be talking about a serious topic today. We also talked about your cat that just had surgery. So Yes. <laughs> and we're laughing. He is doing well. Another so serious topic. Yes. We can smile because all is, all is good. He's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I'm very glad for you. <laughs> now, do tell me a little bit about yourself and how it is that you came to write a book that you did. Uh, oh. It's a very serious title. Do you yes, to thank you so much. And and I I cannot take credit for the title, only for approving it. But yeah, it's just been I it, you know. I was, so I'll take everybody back all the way to the beginning because it's such an involved and long story that I know we need to summarize because we could talk for hours. I was born to a mother, a teenage mother, back during the time when it wasn't okay for teenagers to have babies and be unwed and all this. So, you know, she she endured a lot of shame and a lot of ridicule for being pregnant and then having me, but she hadn't wanted me. And, and I say that um, with utmost confidence, not just because I was told that, but right after my birth, immediately after I came out, she had the doctor tie her tubes so that she couldn't have mm -hmm. more children. So, you know, just to express to people, I'm not perceiving that I wasn't wanted. It's commonly talked about. I'm going to be 48 shortly in a couple months. So, I mean, this is something that is well known in the family. Nobody even tried to hide it, but literally she had her tubes tied. Um, so she always remained emotionally distant from me. Um, she was with a man that was getting out of his marriage to be with my mother. And, and they eventually married when I was about seven. Um, I never liked him, but, um, couldn't put my finger on it, but it was after we moved in with him after their marriage that, you know, little things would start to happen when my mother wasn't around and when nobody was around to witness. Um, he was becoming increasingly physically abusive. 
um, very rough. And then it ended up just being straight out physical abuse. Um, but I could take that and I would take that any day over the verbal abuse. Um, he was telling me things and please forgive me. I need the audience to know. I don't mean to trigger anybody. Um, you know, but I was a little girl and he was telling me, you should have never been born. Nobody mm. loves you. Nobody's ever wanted you. You shouldn't even exist. I shouldn't have to pay for another man's child. You know, all these terrible things told me nobody would ever love me. I was unworthy. I was, you know, and even though I was so strong willed and I was defiant, I told him, don't talk to me that way. I'm going to tell on, you know, I would tell my mother and she just didn't want to be bothered with me. She didn't want me disrupting her marriage to this man. Um, so I was told he never said that. He never did that, which is gaslighting, although I had no idea what that was at the time. Um, then they created this narrative with other people, family and friends and neighbors, that I was lying to get attention and that I was just jealous of the relationship my mother had with her new husband. And, you know, it was very hard for me as a child to process all this because I I didn't expect much. You know, I just assumed your mother's supposed to love you. And, um, you know, presumably your father or stepfather or at least just be decent and courteous. But I didn't get that. My basic needs just were, you know, I had shelter and clothing and I was supposed to be grateful for that. Um, so fast forward to I wanted to get out of that house as soon as I could. So when I was legally able, my first year of college, I left the house um, fell immediately for this boy that promised me all this love. I mean, right, I, literally right from the get-go, within a day or two of meeting me, he loved me, loved me forever. It was the two of us against the world. I was the one, all these things. And you have to you know, think about, I had been starved of love. I had been denied love. My mother and stepfather chose not to love me. So somebody's saying they want to love me. I'll be honest. I thought this guy was a little bit of a jerk. He reminded me in a lot of ways of my stepfather, but I thought, oh my gosh, I wanted love so badly that, you know, I'll do anything. I will do anything. Um, so I ended up with him and fast forward 25 years into this relationship with him. Um, it, it, it had been extremely abusive. There were some domestic violent, uh, situations. And even after the divorce, there was an attempt on my life. Um, and he even admitted to some neighbors that he was planning to kill me. Um, so I got out. Yeah, it was, it was turbulent, but, um, I had been keeping a record the last couple years, um, of our marriage, um, of, some things that were happening because he had, he just like my mother and stepfather kept saying, I never said that. I never did that. That never happened. I mean, there's holes in the wall and he's telling me it didn't happen. And, you know, I try to be self-aware. We had a son. I, I wanted to make sure that I was not, you know, perceiving things that weren't true. Was I delusional? Was I really crazy? Like he said, I was, it's, it's a common situation for abuse victims to be in, but I kept this notebook and the notebook, as silly as it sounds, I had taken because I couldn't be caught with any kind of a record. I, I was going to say he would kill me, but literally <laughs> I feared a consequence. So I took one of my 
son's old notebooks, you know, when you buy like 20 notebooks that they tell you to buy from the school supply list, but your kid just scribbles on them and brings them home. Well, I had this old notebook and I tore out the pages of little, you know, figures and cartoonish drawings that my son had put in there because I figured it was unsuspecting. Um, But I kept my record in this notebook, hid it under the couch cushion in the basement, thinking if my husband were ever to find it, he wouldn't think twice to look inside of it because it looks like a child's, like a fourth grader's notebook that wasn't paying attention in school and drew on the notebook. So I, during the shelter in place during COVID, um, the irony of all this is that I finally went to a lawyer to file for divorce um, early in 2020. I was given some homework, so to speak, things I had to do to prepare to file. And less than a week after that, we were put in the shelter in place, um, not able to leave our homes, couldn't go to work, none of this for COVID. So I was Uh stuck in this house with this man. Um, but I moved all of my things down to the basement. I just set up kind of my own little studio apartment down there. I mean, I I couldn't be shy about the fact that I was done, um, which didn't go well with him. But I took my notebook during the time I had that I wasn't working. And I just decided I'm going to elaborate on these stories because I really was worried for my life at that point. Um I worried that something would happen during this shelter in place, that it would be made to look like a suicide or an accident. And I just wanted some kind of a record so that people would know that it it wasn't me, that they should look to him. So after the divorce, after everything was settled, I realized now that I was in the world again and and free to, you know, read and and research and everything else, I discovered there were a lot of people in this unfortunate situation because I hadn't really known much about narcissistic abuse. I just knew about my situation. But I realized it was one that a lot of people endured, but people didn't want to speak about out of fear of exposing their abuser and fear of those consequences. So I thought, you know what, I am taking a risk, but I have a degree in journalism and psychology. I felt that I had, you know, written out my stories, my experiences well enough that people could relate to them in some way. And if nothing else, I just wanted other people to know that they're not alone because I would have liked to have known that it wasn't just me um, because it's a very devastating feeling to feel that lonely and that destitute at the same time. And like, nobody else can be going through this. So it must be me. Um, And that's where the book actually evolved from. That's my long answer to your question. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay. And you know, so you wrote it while you were still in the marriage. Because you couldn't get out of the marriage because the pandemic came and swiped away your opportunity, not only to move, but to file a court document, to file for divorce. You know, the courts were backed up for years. They were. They were backed up because even after the shelter in place was lifted, I called the attorney right away and she says, I'm so backed up. I don't even know when I'll be able to get to it. Um, but I couldn't wait. I I am nothing if not persistent um, to take from your podcast name. I asked around. I did know a very prominent judge in our area. And I should let listeners know, we, we live in a small town, so it's kind of a, everybody knows everybody. 
uh, mm-hmm. kind of a town. But this judge, I just went to him. He didn't know anything because nobody really knew anything about what was going on. But I just said, look, I need a divorce. I don't want to fight over TVs and couches and money. I don't care if he takes everything. I just want my son and I want out. I want to be done with this. I said, who can you tell me, you know, who can you refer me to? And he gave me a name. I called that attorney. We had a consultation on the phone the next morning. After I hung up, I drove straight to his office, gave him the the full amount. I said, I don't even want, you know, I, I just want to take care of it. And he said, that's fine. I can have you divorced in three weeks. And wow. I had, yeah, I, I just uh, had no contest, thank God, because my ex didn't want any financial responsibility to me or our son in any way, not for medical insurance, no child support, no nothing. And I said, that's fine. I don't even care. I just wanted out. I wanted to be free. So and it was done. That is so challenging. And I have to just say for listeners, and that's something that, you know, I worked as a domestic violence survivor advocate for a long, long time, but it's not always advised to do that. But sometimes because you don't make those years back up financially and it ends right. up hobbling you financially, but sometimes it's the safest thing. Yes do. And I totally understand and respect that you knew what you needed to do. Yeah. uh, Would keep you and your child safe. And I'm sorry, that is a very difficult decision to have to make that really, really is. So after that, then what happened? Well, life got good. (laughs) Honestly, um, you know, it's really sad, but you know, my son was in his last year of high school. So he just had one request, which was to remain in in the only home he'd ever known, um, you know, at least for his last year of school. I wanted to honor that because I think it's really important to, to, especially with everything that my son unfortunately had to witness throughout all those years. And he certainly didn't witness everything, but it was enough. But I wanted to provide some stability. I didn't want to just uproot him from everyone and everything he knew and move and all that. So we stayed there. Um, but I remember one day he came home and just kind of like, it's like he was looking around and taking in. It sounds so weird, but just the energy in the house, it just felt lighter. You know, you didn't feel the tension. You didn't feel feel the hostility. It's like the sun was shining brighter through the windows. And that sounds so silly to some people who've never experienced it. But even we, our our hearts felt lighter. We were unburdened um, with having to walk on eggshells and worry about what we said and what we did. And can we do this? And can I cook that for dinner? Or is that too close to what we had yesterday, you know, these silly things that we stressed out about before. And there were all these unspoken rules as well. I mean, although my ex was very vocal about rules, (laughs) he had had a lot of rules, but sometimes he'd make them up as we go. So I had to take constant note. And at one point, he even left me a note on my desk that said how to be a good wife, because apparently I didn't know how to be. And he had a list of things I was supposed to do. But, you know, it's like we would just go through our daily lives, me and my son. And a few times he caught me doing something and he would say, we don't have to do that anymore, mom. We don't have to do that anymore. And it bothered me that even he you know, was living the same way I did. And I didn't want him to grow up in such a volatile house like I had. But, you know, 
I did the best I could as a mother to try to protect him and overcompensate and make sure we had moments of joy and that I was smiling. Even if I was dying inside, I was smiling and trying to, you know, make things good for him and and give him some normalcy throughout everything. So yeah, once we were out, we were good. And I ended up remarrying to somebody I'd known for some time. Again, small town stuff. Everyone knows everybody. So there was another family in town that um, my son and I were actually friends with for about 15 or 16 years, um, knew them well. And, um, you know, this man just, you know, he was very concerned. You know, my health had gone into such a rapid decline towards the end of my marriage. And, you know, so we just started talking a little bit more once I was free to, he was supportive, wonderful. And, you know, one day he just said, I want you to be my wife. And I'm like, well, I don't need to be married again, sir, but thank you. (laughs) And, you know, it just seems silly not to though, because it was so easy with him and we didn't need to be married, but we really came to care about each other a lot. And and I thought it might be too much for my son, but even my son said, oh, we've known them for a long time. That's cool. He said, I'm just glad to see you smiling again. I'm just glad to see you happy. And he's like, you know, referring to my, my husband now, he said, you know, and Doug's always smiling too. He's very easygoing. You know, we like this. We, we don't take things like that for granted having come from where we came from. So you know, things are really, really, really good. Good. What kind of support did you get formally? Like, did you go to a support group? Did you, you know, what did you do to work on you to rebuild you after all of that? I rebuilt myself, basically. Um, It's unfortunate because of my uh, childhood. You know, my mother chose not to have a relationship with me and, and the feeling was mutual. Um, so we don't have contact. I don't have a mother to talk to. I don't have, you know, people that I can call, um, you know, and unfortunately the resources that are available in, in rural areas or small towns are not, um, I mean, I couldn't even tell you anywhere, you know, within a 30, 40 or 50 mile radius maybe, but you know, that there's, um, therapy or what have you available, But, you know, I had a degree in journalism and I minored in psychology. And I am going to just say I am guilty of psychoanalyzing people all the time because as a victim of abuse, you become hypervigilant. So since childhood, I was always gauging moods, reading expressions, even the verbiage people use versus why didn't, you know, why didn't they use this word instead of that word? you can tell a lot about what that person is thinking and what their next move is going to be because you're always trying to kind of outsmart them and and beat them at their own game, so to speak. You're trying to perceive threats and act accordingly. And it's a terrible way to live, but it's just how I am. So I like to think I'm a good judge of character, but I had to start reaching into myself. Um, so part of my healing process, honestly, was actually going through the publishing process with my book. Um, because for those of you that aren't authors and don't have published books, I did not know this either. Um, but the first time they go through your manuscript, they're reading through and they're writing down questions. They're taking notes that you can maybe go back and rewrite things to consider that a reader would think or the reader might question. And I found that was more 
helpful than probably any therapy I could have gone through. Because And I joked with my publisher that she was like a therapist because I was getting back these pages of notes. You know, in this chapter, you say this, but did you feel stunned? Were you surprised? Were you, sh-? you know, like right. how exactly, if you don't mind going there, you know, really delve into that. And so I really did have to dig deep and really have to go back to places I didn't want to go um, to really be able to express in, in my writing how I felt in these awful moments and and even in the good moments. But, you know, when you kind of realize those things and accept them, you know, it helps you to heal from them. Because, I mean, despite everything, I, I am honestly standing here. I'm not trying to be noble or anything, but I honestly can say I don't hate my ex-husband. I don't want anything to do with him and I have no contact with him, but I don't hate him. In in fact, I, I learned a lot from writing about our relationship and our dynamic. And, you know, I see where I see how, how we got together and how we fell apart now. And, and it's very clear to me. And I try to be non-judgmental in that way and just say, you know, I accept it was what it was. I accept my part in it. Um, I can't take the burden of his mistakes and whatever shape, you know, and even with my mother, the shame she put on me, I am not responsible for other people's feelings. Um, I can only be responsible for what I have done and, and said and how that has impacted other people. And I take responsibility for that and I move forward. Um but it's certainly not an easy thing. And I'm not, you know, dismissing traditional therapy, but I have also found that, you know, it doesn't work for everybody. It's hard to know that on Thursday at three o'clock every week, you're going to go rehash all these awful things. I mean, those of us that have been through those things on Wednesday, you're going to have anxiety, then you're not going to sleep all Wednesday night thinking about all the awful things you have to talk about on Thursday at three o'clock. And in fairness, there are so many therapeutic interventions. So group support is available online and free for domestic abuse survivors. And I don't want people to think that there's like one route to healing, but that's really important as well as there's talk therapy, there's EMDR, there are therapeutic trauma-releasing exercises, but writing is not always therapeutic, but it really can be. And you can get empathy for people you never thought you would doing it. And it sounds like that was really the case for you. It was. And and I I have that. Yes. I have since found that there are doctors and psychologists that use writing therapy as a method. I've heard of art therapy. There's music therapy. I just think therapy is so personal that people yes. have to find out what works for them. And also yes. they have to make sure, again, when we're talking about domestic violence and abusive situations, the key before anything else is to make sure you are safe. Like Amen. even my book, my book, you can't just go by and leave on your coffee table to let your abuser see you're reading it. I understand that. We have the ebook available, but if they're looking in your phone and looking on your computer, you can't do that either. You know, you may right. not be able to do online therapy, but you know, there's so many so different good. opportunities now for people to find the help that they need. So, you so know, good. we can all band and together. What works now might not work later, or maybe you don't need it at first, but you could reach, you know, that there's exactly. never 
an end to the time that we can pursue healing, however it works for you. I love that. And also, I was just thinking about this yesterday as I was watching, I'm going to admit to you, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, an old, old, old episode, don't judge. <laughs> but there was a very poignant domestic violence uh, relationship that was being exposed. And they were in couples therapy, which is one of the most dangerous things that can happen yes. when there is an imbalance of power. And someone is talking about something that the other person will get angry about and then punish them after the therapy is over at home. Yes. That's a terrible idea, you know? So it just reminds me, you know, there's, you're absolutely right. There's so many different routes to healing. And I love the one you chose that for now um, that served you, but also your readers. What have you heard from your son and from other people? Well, um, mostly from other people. I love my son, but he I'm just mom to him. I he doesn't even talk about the book. I'm not an author, I'm not a podcaster, I'm just mom. So yes, um we don't it. even talk about it. I think when he is ready at some point to, you know, face the things that have happened, you know, in his own time, we'll do that. Um, but readers, I have had a tremendous response. You know, I said from day one, I was making a major investment of time and money and, and just yes. risking, honestly, um, risking my life because I'm putting things out there that could earn me some consequences. Um, but I moved forward because it's really important. And I said, if I save one person, from not having a life or, or, you know, from deciding that, you know, if, if they decide they want to leave a, an abusive situation, then my work is done. I, I will have, you know, done my work. It will all have not been for nothing. Thank goodness. Um, and fortunately I've, I've had so many people reach out to me, um, on social media or by email, um, thanking me. And I don't want thanks. I, I love that people, you know, appreciate what I've done, but you know, the effort and the courage and the bravery it takes to make that decision and then enact right. it, that is completely, the credit goes to each and every one of those people. All I did was, you know, give you a, a hand to hold, to say, I've been there, I've done it. And I, I, I hope that you will, you know, find your way out as well and find your way to a better life. But it's just amazing that so many people have been affected, but also very sad. It makes me really sad. It is so true. And it's, it is an act of bravery that you decided to shine a light on something that we don't talk about until it's too late often. Yeah. Um, you know, there are many great relationships in the world to celebrate, and I absolutely love that. But with statistics as they are worldwide, we still have a huge problem with violence in the home, and its impact is financial to the entire community. Yes. It certainly impacts the survivor and their children and can be intergenerational, like you said. So it's so wonderful that you invested in leaving a legacy, not just for your child, but really for everyone. And so tell us the title and again, and where can we connect with you and learn more about your work? Yeah, of course. The title of the book is Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse. Um, you can find it anywhere books are sold online. 
Um, most people go to Amazon, but wherever you want to go, it, it is there in ebook and print format. You can also go to my website, danaestiaz.com. The link to buy the book is right there on the homepage. I have a blog there. You can contact me from there through email. My Facebook and Instagram links are also on there. I definitely love hearing from people. I've had people reach out that are in good situations and have happy news to share with me of, you know, their way out and that they got out and they're good and they're safe. And I've had other people reach out that are in terrible circumstances and don't know what to do. And I am not a doctor and I am not a lawyer, but if you need to just vent to somebody safely, I'm happy to be that person that's there for you because I know how hard that is. And I don't want anyone to ever feel alone in this because you really are not alone. There's so many of us that have been through it, but there's so much, as you said, the support is out there. Had I known that, had I known I would not be homeless and that we would eat and we would have clothes, you know, it's simple things, but it would have made it a lot easier. And I think people are just so scared and they don't know that there's people waiting to help them. So we definitely want to make sure to direct them the right way. Right. Financial abuse is almost always a part of this kind of abuse. And so it makes people feel even more ashamed, more alone, and more hopeless. And there really are a lot of resources. I'm so glad you brought that up. And so glad that you stopped by and wrote the book. That is fantastic. Many congratulations. It was just published, correct? Very recently. Yeah, just in June. That is so good. You already have a lot of reviews. And I just for listeners, one of the kindest things you can do for an author is it's such a joy when we know that someone read our work. But if you get a chance and you've read it and you can give an authentic review on online retailers, that really helps an author out. So congratulations. Thank you. I'm so very honored that you stopped by today. And I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.